Thanks for listening to the Grace Life Podcast. Sex has power. It has the power to entice. It has the power to build together. And it has the power to tear apart. It is something that God intended for good, our good. For all of us, it's an issue. For many, it's lost its meaning and become a passing transaction. But it can be a good thing again. What power will it have for you? Join us for this honest, straightforward talk about the power of sex. Grace Life and part two of a series we're doing called The Power of Sex. If you were not here last week, let me quickly calm any fears of parents in the room. This will be appropriate for Sunday morning, as well as the ages of children we do assume are in the room. Again, we have nursery and children's church, so uh, very great biblical conversations shouldn't always be had with six-year-olds. So you judge whether or not you want your child in the room for the rest of it, but again, it's going to be uh, very Tame. Uh, we have every intention of trying to make sure it's appropriate. So I want to make sure you understand next week we're closing out the series with a little Q&A session. I've got a Christian counselor who spends a lot of time uh, counseling people who are struggling or dealing with sexual issues. She'll be joining me on stage and we're going to be answering your questions. Some people have already started to submit some questions. Great stuff. So I'm looking forward to next week. want to let you know that you can go to our website as well and add your questions to that and we'll see what we can do to help uh, get us all back on the track that God would have for us. If you were here last week, we started the series with the idea that sex has the power to entice. And I want you to understand that if I could have talked for an hour straight, I would have put these two together. They do not belong separated. You need to make sure you go back and catch that one if you want to understand the topic fully, because today we're going to move on to a different kind of power that sex has, and that is either the power to build or the power to destroy. Now, the best way to start any message or any public speaking endeavor is always to share a personal story about yourself. But we're talking about sex, so enough about me, and now let's move on to you. The idea behind having sex uh, have the power to either build or destroy is really all about the effects that sex has either inside or outside of marriage. So the question uh, that shows up all the time is when people are asking, well, why does it actually matter? What is the big deal? But we're in love. Y'all can't laugh as we do this. I know we're talking about sex and we're in church, but you can still enjoy it. Okay. People say this one, it's my body. Just for the record, I don't have time to do a whole sermon on this, but God completely disagrees with you. The Bible actually talks about multiple reasons it is not just your body. And one of them is the fact that this is the temple of the Holy Spirit. If you are a follower of Jesus, God's Spirit lives in you. It's His house, not yours. And if you think about the number of things we would or would not do in this room because we think it's a church, and really it is nothing but a warehouse with carpet, this is the church. So we should think about that when we go, well, it's my body, I can do as I want to. And then I'll leave that for another day to touch on that. Or how about this one? People like to say, I am free to make my own decision. And that is the point. Because God wants to keep you free. And you will not stay free. You'll find that out by the end as we talk about this. So look, here's the point. I was a youth pastor prior to what I'm doing now. I was a middle school teacher. I was a high school teacher. And I was in a situation where I would run into people all the time asking the same questions. Even now as a pastor, when I do premarital counseling and meet with couples and meet with dating couples and so forth, the idea of waiting is, is really a foreign idea, even for Christians now. People don't understand why. 
They know God says to wait, but they don't understand why they should. And as I said last week, since he loves and forgives, we can just wash those two out. So why should we really do that? Because we don't understand why that's what I want to talk about today. I want to not just say, well, God's got a rule, you should follow it. I want to try and help you understand the intent of what is going on in our lives and what God has for us if we do this correctly. Now, before I start, I want to go ahead and explain a couple of things. Number one, I'm talking to everybody in the room. If you are having sex, not having sex, plan to have sex, married, not married, dating, engaged, anybody in the room is going to take a hit today. Okay, so are you ready for that? And chances are I'm going to step on some toes pretty much any way around the room because this is a delicate subject and pretty much every human being either has or plans to have sex. That's just the way that one works out. Not many people like from the beginning, like, nope, not interested. Haven't met that person yet. So uh, we're going to touch on pretty much anything if you're breathing this morning. You need to be prepared that I might step on a toe. Um, and I do want to say, though, that, that I'm going to do this with as much grace as possible. Because of the fact that we are reaching people and lives are being changed and people every single week are coming to follow Jesus and so forth here, then we know not everybody is in the same place. I don't want anyone to feel condemned or kicked. What I would like to ask you, though, is will you allow me to share with you what the Bible says about this without feeling beat up? Is that okay? Can I do that? All right, great. Well, let's jump in. I'm going to start with a passage out of Mark. Now, the best place to start with anything is the beginning, so we should go back to Genesis. But sometimes people don't think Genesis is still accurate for 2015. So I'm going to start with Mark, which is where Jesus was talking. And just to kind of get both in, Jesus was quoting Genesis. So that's the way that works. And so here is what he had to say about this when he's talking about marriage. He says, but from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they're no longer two, but they are one flesh. Look, there's no mystery here. I don't care what your Sunday school teacher told you. He's talking about sex. That's what this passage is about. Very, very simple. Sex makes the two become one. There is a bond that is created. And so the way that this is supposed to go is there is some sort of public event. We refer to it as a wedding where you make a promise based upon a covenant. The two of you are going to share together. And that promise is made publicly. And then after the promise is made publicly, the promise is sealed privately in the covenant begins. That is the intent. Sex takes two and makes them one. And God's order is incredibly clear for those of you that might be wondering, but wait a minute, can't we kind of blur the lines a little bit here and there? The passage, multiple passages, it never gets rearranged. The order is this. You are a minor. Your parents pay for the groceries. You live in mom and daddy's house. And at some point, you transfer from mama and daddy's house to your spouse. There is no stopping along the way to your roommate, your boyfriend, and your girlfriend, and your sort of engaged boyfriend that won't really give you a ring because he's not really engaged, but that's the only way you'll kind of go along with the trick. None of those. It's... Y'all know what I'm talking about, don't you? Mama and daddy, husband or wife, and then we seal the promise. The order never changes. The two become one. And so I want you to understand that there is an actual power behind this. We, we've 
are talking about last week, this, this power to do one thing. The, the idea now is the power to do something completely different. And so I want to show you what this power is as we look at a story also out of Genesis. But at this point, we're talking about a guy named Jacob. You ever heard of the, these guys, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Okay, well, Jacob had a lot of kids and he had some daughters. And so one daughter in particular is the one that's about to have this happen. So we're in chapter 34. For those of you trying to flip and keep up today, I apologize. We're not in just one passage. Starts at the very beginning of the chapter. Now Dinah or Dina, depending on which part of the world you come from, who was the daughter of Leah, whom she had born to Jacob. She went out to see the woman of the land, the women of the land. And so first let me pause and let you understand, at this point in history, the Israelites were not really a people just yet. They were really just a family that were going to become a people. And they were not in their own country. They didn't have a country. They didn't have cities. They were nomads. They traveled around. And so they have shown up in a place where they want to see what these people are like. And so Dinah decides she's going to go out to see the women of the land. And presumably she wants to go and discover what is the fashion? What do they act like? What do they look like? You know, daddy says, I can't wear makeup. Let me go find out if these people wear makeup. This would be cool. You know, she just wants to understand what are the women like in this culture? Let me explore that a little bit. And when Shechem, the son of Hamor the Hivite, who was the prince, his daddy's the king, he's number two, waiting on daddy to die. When he was the prince of the land, he saw her, he seized her, and he lay with her and humiliated her. It's an incredibly simple exchange. It is sad that this took place then. It's sad it still takes place today. But the bottom line is he wanted sex with her. And so he took it. He saw something that he wanted. He wanted a quick physical exchange. And so he assaulted her. He raped her. I know that that's rough, but that is the Bible. And that is exactly what happened. And here is the problem. The humiliation that he put upon her was the fact that he removed from her her purity, which then made her unsuitable for a husband. Now, I know it's 2015, and you guys would say, wait a minute, wait a minute, Jimmy, that's a little harsh, and culture would say that doesn't really prevent us. But back then, the idea was you stayed pure until marriage. There was only one, right? From father and mother to your spouse, and that's the way that that worked. And so anyone who knew her story, and her story would follow her. I mean, after all, lots of brothers, right? Someone would know, and she would never be able to get married. No one would ever take her. So she was humiliated. Her entire life was ripped from before her against her will at one moment. But let's keep reading. Because immediately something happens. And his soul was drawn to Dinah, the daughter of Jacob. And he loved the young woman and spoke tenderly to her. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Isn't this the guy who just saw her walking down the street grabbed her, physically assaulted her, and took what he wanted from her. And now it's, he's speaking tenderly to her. His soul is drawn to her. It's showing us that there actually is a power to sex. There's a power to make two, take two, and to begin to make one out of this. And for those of you that are reading the story thinking, wait a minute, Jimmy, maybe you're being a little mean to him. He probably had a heart change. He fell in love with her. It's a romance story, Jimmy. He's, he's suddenly having his heart turned and his character is becoming good and he's going to become a new man. He's going to apologize for what he did. Oh, really? Let's follow the story. So Shechem spoke to his father, Hamor, saying, get me this girl for my wife. Because after all, I'm the prince. I get everything I want around here. Someday you're going to die. I'm going to get even everything that belongs to you. I get my way. I'm the spoiled brat. Go get that woman for me, daddy. That sound like a man whose character has changed? That sound like a loving, tender person that's going to try and win her heart and repent and apologize? 
No. He said, go complete a business transaction. Purchase her. I want her. His heart hasn't changed, but his heart is now connected. What began as a purely physical encounter now has him entangled in something he can't even get away from. He doesn't understand. And he never, ever expected it would come. So Jacob and his sons obviously are not going to be happy about this event. I'm going to skip the verses and we'll skip the rest of the story about how it doesn't go well for them. You can go and read that one on your own. But Hamor spoke with them saying, The soul of my son Shechem longs for your daughter. Please give her to him to be his wife. Showing that there is a power with sex. The two becomes one. Here is my point. Sex has the power to build or destroy. And it's one and the same. Don't get the idea that there's a good sex and a bad sex. There's a good power and a bad power. All of that is foolish thinking that somehow gets developed in the American media. That, well, this is okay and that's not okay. You know, at all. No. There is one power. God created sex to take two individuals and to turn them into one thing. And that is the power either to build or to destroy. The only difference is when and how and with whom. See, it's the same power. What matters is the relationship and the timing in which it is used. So I want to touch on a couple of those things so that, again, I can be an equal opportunity preacher this morning and, and offend everyone the same. <laughs> Let's start with the married folks in the room. When I do marriage counseling, and I like to talk to the married folks about how sex is supposed to be glue. Sex is glue. God intended it to put something, uh, to, to draw the two of you together, to help you through the tough times. When you're arguing about the bills, when you're fighting about this, you've got something that is going to bring the two of you together and help you want to get over the fights and to, to continue to grow together, to love one another. There is a piece of that that is physical. God intended it to be that way. The problem is that we don't understand that this is supposed to be the exclusive thing that the only the two of us have. And we should treasure it that way. Look, here's the truth. Anyone can go and hang out with their coworkers. Your coworkers will learn your personality. Your coworkers will learn your quirks. The guys that you meet after work to go and shoot hoops with or whatever it is you do, they're going to know your likes and your dislikes and your preferences. And, and they're going to know some of your stories that you told them what happened to you when you were 12. Everyone's going to know all of these things about you. But the union between you and your spouse is exclusive. This is something that's only for the two of you, not for the rest of the world, just for the two of you. It's also not extra. It is exclusive and it is not extra. It is not optional. I meet so many couples that just don't understand the power that God has given them. They're struggling in their marriage. They're fighting about everything. And we talk about, well, well how are you doing physically? Oh, well, you know, we don't. Well, then don't be surprised that everything else is falling apart as well because this is one of the things that God gives us to put together. And this is just the sad truth in the world. All the single people in the room can't wait to get married and have sex. If they only knew when you get married, you don't. You just don't. Some of us do, but some of them don't. I got four kids, and it's not because I like kids. Just so y'all know. Thank you. I appreciate that. It's not an original joke, but I will claim it today. All right. Where was I? 
things like life and kids and moods and work and work didn't go well and the hot water heater just burst at nine o'clock at night and, and life just becomes mundane. You see, when you're dating, it's only on Friday night and it's a special night and everybody puts on special clothes and all that sort of stuff. And then life becomes so mundane that married people forget the special thing that God had for them and the glue is no longer there. They just go through life as business partners and roommates and they're missing out on one of the, the probably the most powerful tool that God has given a married couple. It's not extra and it's not optional. And while I'm at it, let me touch on this. It is not leverage. You see, when you take a power and use it over another person to get what you want, that is manipulation by definition. According to the Bible, we use the word witchcraft. So anytime that you take a power and you use it over another human being to get what you want out of it, it is purely demonic at the root and you need to repent. So for the people that are withholding sex to get something out of their spouse, like I came home. And dinner wasn't my favorite meal. Or you burned this again. Or the house isn't clean. Or what well, he didn't take out the trash and the garage isn't organized. Or my car ran out of gas because he didn't fill it up. with. I don't care what the story is. When you start withholding sex simply because you want to get back at the other person. Well, when you do this, I'll do this. Well, you didn't empty the dishwasher tonight, so it ain't happening. When you are, I'm just telling you what I hear in my office, okay? So give me a break. When you, the fly on the wall, there you go. You always wanted to be one, didn't you? Names will be withheld, I promise. When you withhold sex to get something, you're missing out because sex is God's idea for making you one. Fighting about the dirty dishes or the trash that's piling up, you need to figure out another way to do it. The Bible even tells us that if you want to pause having sex for a period of time, make it quick. And it should only be for fasting and prayer and then come back together again because this is God's intent. It, but I want to pause. I need to touch. I know some of you are laughing and having fun, but I need to touch on something before somebody goes home and abuses what I just said. If you have broken trust, and if you have ruined the fidelity in your marriage, and the other person is not engaging in sexual activity with you, that is not withholding. It is called healing. It's a time of restoration. So don't anybody go home pointing a finger at your wife or your husband saying, we need the glue. No, you already ruined it. You ruined it. It'll get fixed if you take the right steps. But in the meantime, this is one of your consequences. Outside of marriage. Outside of marriage, the two are becoming one. The ceremony is not what begins the process so much. The two are becoming one, and Americans, humans, humans, are great at establishing degrees of everything. Well, how far is too far? Can we, can we do this? How about this? How about this? On a scale of one to ten, how much is godly and ungodly? We, we make all of these degrees of things. I'm going to go ahead and answer a question for you that is already submitted for next week. I'm going to answer it right now because the question is, can you do this sexual activity but not go all the way before marriage? I'm not going to fill in the blank because we have young people. It doesn't really matter what that sexual activity is. Here's how that question can always be answered for all generations. Imagine you are married. Would you want another person doing this sexual act with your spouse? Then don't do it before marriage. And the truth is, that answer doesn't work as well as it used to. Because some people are like, well, this will be okay, that'll be okay, that'll be okay. 
And the sad truth is there are entire websites set up for people who don't want to just be husband and wife. They want to be husband and husband and wife and wife. And, and it's a sad world. But that answer should still work, at least for people who have not gone that far down that path. See, the Bible says this in 1 Corinthians. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? Sex takes the two and makes one. Now, some of you would say, wait a minute, I've never gone down the street. I've never hired somebody, never taken them to a hotel. This doesn't, you need to understand the context of culture of who a prostitute was. You really just need to read that verse this way for 2015. Do you not know that he who unites himself with someone, not his wife, is still one with her in body? For it is said the two will become one flesh. And this is where we get this passage out of Hebrews. Again, I'm just giving you the whole thing. I want you to understand this is a, a Bible-wide topic, not one little rare passage. Hebrews 13, you've maybe heard this passage before that says, Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled. I promise you I've had people actually come to my office, sit down. The husband or the wife is in tears. The other one looks at me and says, But we didn't do it in our bed. This verse does not mean as long as you get a hotel, it's okay. What this verse is talking about is the glue of when we're connected to another person that we used to be with. Now we get married and now in our marriage bed, it's crowded. Because we have memories and we have images and we have expectations. Because so-and-so did it that way. So-and-so would have done this. And that is what that passage is talking about. Sex is glue both inside and outside of marriage. The idea is that it takes two people and gets them stuck together. Well, you have the same effect even outside of marriage. I have counseled countless couples who are miserable. Miserable. And I had a couple come to me. And they said, we can't stop fighting. How long have you been married? We're not married. I got a suggestion, but I'm going to ask a few more questions first. They fight about this. They fight about that. They can't get along about anything. Everything is always a problem. Would you be better off without her? I think I'd be better off without her. Would you be better off without him? I'm pretty sure I'd be better off without him. Why? I'll tell you why. Because they were sleeping together. It's a glue. Again, back to my teaching days. I would watch these little girls walk into the classroom and they were treated like little lap dogs to the cool dude. He would abuse them. He would say, go get this. Go do that. Go stand in the hall. I'm talking to my friends. Oh, I'll meet you after lunch. Whatever. Treat her like absolute dirt. And yet she follows him around and calls him her boyfriend. Why? Because they're having sex. You see, you create a bond that even when you're miserable, you can't get away. Which in marriage is supposed to help you want to fight through it, work through it, and go get counseling. But outside of marriage, it puts two people together who aren't supposed to be tied together yet. And they're getting locked into something that they're still supposed to have the freedom to say, this isn't good for me. I need to get away. All of my students knew I was a youth pastor. I wasn't a guidance counselor, but I was a band director. But I was a youth pastor, and they knew it. So people I didn't even know would come and knock on my office door. Mr. Kearns, can I talk to you? I think I may be pregnant. We'll go talk to a counselor. I don't want to talk to a counselor. I heard you're a youth pastor. And so we actually had students, my wife and I'll tell you, we had students that would come by because they wanted our counsel. Because I'd have uh, young ladies, oh, don't meet with girls alone, didn't, don't meet with women alone. And so we had this one girl in particular. She came and said, man, I just, 
I, I just don't think this is going to work. I don't think we belong together. I think I'm supposed to be doing something else. I'm supposed to, we're supposed to break up. We try to break up, and then we get back together, and we're supposed to not be. You want to guess why? Having sex. And no matter what advice we gave her, she stayed tied to that because she couldn't say no sexually, so she stayed tied. Even though this conversation kept going on and on. Hey, how's that going? I mean, it went on for the entire senior year. She's married to him now. I hope it's working out. Sex is glue. It clouds your ability to make a decision because it ties you to someone before you're ready to commit to them. And even when you get separated, take two things that are glued together and break them apart. There's a residue, right? This is where you're going to end up with the residue. You will make comparisons and you will have expectations and you will remember everything and your bed will be crowded because your mind is crowded and your heart is crowded and you no longer have the ability to just know this one person in the way that God intended. And I need to touch on the other subject. If you wondered if I was going to hit it, I'm going to hit it right now. This is why porn destroys. This is why porn destroys. Because you will connect images and acts that you've watched and seen. And you will take them to bed and you will expect. And you will compare. And it will destroy you. Because the entire pornography industry will admit it readily. There are blogs written, articles written by porn stars and actors and actresses and all those people telling you. It is an act. It is not real. They are not actually doing what you think you are going to go and do. They are actors. But you're going to expect your spouse to live out that reality that's not even a reality. And he or she will fail. Because there's no possible way. For them to act and to imitate the same things. And so we end up with these ridiculous expectations forever. And the reason it needs to be touched on, in case you think, whoa, did he really just go there? There are kids in the room. Do you know the average age of exposure to pornography is 11? And it gets younger every day because more and more kids are assigned to do homework on the internet. I have a kindergartner and a first grader who are assigned to do homework on the computer every single night. That's two kids on a computer. Do you know what it takes to constantly watch and make sure that they're not in the wrong place? And if you don't know this, and I'm not going to give you the details so that those of you that are struggling know what to go look for. I'm not going to help you. But there are websites for children's things and children's vacation worlds and so forth. And they will take one letter and change it. So if there's one typo, it is now a porn site that it'll take them to. The porn industry is not trying to avoid this. They're trying to target the kids. They're trying to get future customers by taking one letter that's close and moving it. This is a common thing. If you think that I'm overstepping the bounds because your 13-year-old is hearing what I'm saying, you need to go home and have a conversation because they need to hear this. They're hearing the other side, I promise. And even greater destruction, I'm, I'm, I'm going to I'm going to do it safely, but I'm going to push around a little bit more because you need to understand this. When you take what you're watching and you add to it taking care of yourself, you will be tied to that. Every time you have the physical sensation, you're going to remember the images. Everything is going to go together and your spouse is no longer good enough for you. This is why porn destroys. How about the engaged couples? How about those of you who are committed to God and each other? You're good Christians. You want to follow God. You're responsible. 
You're taking care of things in a natural way. And you're not just hooking up. You're, you're committed. I, I promise I was going to step on toes, but again, I'm going to do it gracefully. And if everybody would just hang with me. If you're cohabitating and having sex, then you have everything but the wedding. You do. And if you have yet to make the public declaration that says, before God, I promise to take care of this person, then you are missing out on the favor and the blessing that God intends to be on your relationship. That isn't there because you haven't gone to get it. And the attack of the enemy is there instead. And, and you don't even know what you're missing because you haven't gone to get what God intends to bless you. And then if you're not making it legal, why not? In most cases, when I ask someone, they say, well, you know, we're still checking this out. We're making sure. If you're not sure yet this is the person, then you probably shouldn't be taking the two and making them one. There's another way to go about that. Don't build that unity just yet. And if you're not cohabitating, but you're still having sex, because after all, you're an engaged couple and you love Jesus and you come to church together and so it should be okay, you need to understand you're starting your entire family and marriage on a foundation other than doing things God's way. And that will come back at you later when you expect God to show up and answer prayers. But long ago, you told God you didn't want him involved because you said, no, thanks, I will do it my way. It will cloud your emotions and your ability to make decisions about your relationships because after all, you are engaged, not married, and not all engaged couples make it. But now you've become one and you're in trouble. I want to begin to close with this thought right here. Do not build a union sexually you aren't ready to commit to maritally. Because the two are becoming one. You can't stop that. Do not build a union sexually you are not ready to commit to maritally. And if that didn't work, I'm going to tell you the one thing that usually does. If all else fails, I want you to understand this. Your ability to assert your authority in your home over your children starts with you being under God's authority. So if you can look at God and say, I don't care what your rules are. I don't care what your book says. I don't care how much you love me. I don't care that it's intended for my good. I know better and I'm going to do what I want. Good luck when you have a 14-year-old daughter. That's a good reason to keep your pants zipped, just so you know. I didn't mean that to be that funny. Our response is to choose. Will we use sex to build our marriage? Either the one you have now or the one that God has destined for you in the future? Or will you destroy the exclusive unity that God has built for us to have? It's a choice that we must each make. And obviously at this point I need to stop and touch on the fact that many, many, many of us have already made that choice and we regret it. Many people have a past. Some of us are living in our past because we're not yet married and we will look back on these days. And I want you to know this, God can heal, and God can restore, and God can fix what you've broken. You can start again the day by saying, okay, God, I didn't even realize why it was wrong. Please forgive me. And I want to establish from this day forward doing things your way. I want you to be the king of my home. At the end of every service, we have prayer teams down front to pray with you, and they're not here just flippantly. They're here because we hope that every week when we speak on something that we're, we're touching people's hearts and we're challenging you to say, oh my gosh, I need to respond to this. I need some help. 
And so you come and ask someone, will you pray with me? Will you pray for me that God will forgive me for what I've done and will heal what I have messed up? And they will pray with you. For those of you that are already married, will you continue to use this to build the exclusive unity or will you ignore the power of sex that God has given you? And will you stop abusing the power if you're one that is? And the last people I'm going to mess with today, if you are the engaged people, the committed people, but the not yet married people who are having sex, can I challenge you? Why not? Why not get married? You can go tomorrow and get a marriage license and you can drop by my office this week. And I will run a special this week. Normally you pay pastors to do marriages, but I'm going to make this real clear. I will do any wedding that responds to this message for food. If you don't think my office is romantic enough, you get your friends together, you get them at your house, put some good stuff on the barbecue, get some chocolate pie, because that'll be important, and I will come and I will do the wedding. True story, a lady in the last service who actually does a lot of food and baking promised me if anybody responds to this, she will cook your cake for free. Free wedding cake, free pastor. Get your marriage license. And I know at this point, people tell me, well, that's just not ideal because my family's not in town. Look, you left ideal long ago. And the number one excuse I hear when I try to help people, let's get your life right. They look at me and say, but my mama can't make it to the wedding if we do it this week. Oh, I understand. Offend your mama, offend God. That's right. You just keep going the way you're going. Again, it's not ideal, but you got yourself where you are. I do say that with as much grace as I can. I'm just trying to say, let's fix it. Let's fix it. I want to close these two parts, because again, next week is the q and I want to close today this part of the series by making sure you understand this. Avoiding sex is not the answer. I should have got a couple amens on that one. Avoiding sex is not the answer. Sex is not a bad thing to be avoided. You totally missed the point if you've heard that. Sex is not a bad thing to be avoided, but it is a powerful thing to be used in a godly way. So the power will be for your benefit and not for your pain. Trying to avoid something is a losing battle. When people come to me for counseling, I never say, well, just don't do it. That never works. It's better to point them to something else. So I'm going to point you to the glory of God instead of the glory of man, because that's exactly what we're talking about. It's a whole other sermon I'm going to do someday, but I'll just give you the one sentence prelude. Instead of chasing the glory of God, you're chasing the glory of man, and this is as good as it gets for us. Set your eyes on God. Honor God, honor marriage, and commit to that. My hope for you, my hope for us as a family is that we will build amazing marriages with incredibly healthy sex lives that give the enemy no opportunity for destruction. And that is why sex outside of marriage matters. And that is why sex inside of marriage matters. So to build or destroy, it's your life, it's your marriage, and it is your choice. Amen. Amen. That whole message is about a life that's built on honoring God. And that, of course, begins at the moment you realize Jesus actually died for you. Ryan did a great job explaining it during communion. 
We are imperfect people. And our sins are like a stain representing our lives. But because of Jesus dying on the cross, one of the greatest supernatural acts ever, the red blood combining with our red stains produced pure white holiness. It's amazing. It's called the righteousness of Jesus in your life. And if you've never personally had that conversation, it's not just going, well, I went to church and well, I know Jesus is a dude. No, it's that looking down time at Jesus' face on the cross and saying, because you died for me, I want to live for you. If you've never done that, I want to help you do that here this morning. You don't have to do anything weird. We're going to pray right where you are. Would everybody join me in prayer? And say something like this to yourself and to God. Say, Lord Jesus, I thank you for your love, for your mercy, for your forgiveness. I thank you for washing away that stain and making my life pure white. I thank you that I can be with you forever. And my simple hope in this place today is that you will give me a life of great meaning and great purpose in your kingdom. Amen. Amen. Let's celebrate with people. Thanks for listening to the Grace Life Podcast. For more information about us, you can go to gracelife.me. That's gracelife.me. You can also follow us on Facebook at facebook.com backslash gracelifeme and on Twitter at gracelifechurch. Church.